We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. We're glad that you're here. Uh, As we talk about invitation today, uh, I want to read these words from Peter, one of the apostles in 1 Peter, and he's giving this encouragement and this uh, word of instruction in the way of Jesus to some of the first followers of Jesus, and here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your heart sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good If suffering should be God's will, then to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through the water and baptism which this prefigured now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus, who was gone into heaven and sits at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. When I was a kid, and I was really young, I actually remember this from when I was really, really young, My dad and his brother, my uncle Johnny, and my grandfather, who we called Poppy, would all go on golf trips together. And they went a variety of places. They went to Cabo a couple of times, and they went all over the country, and they would play golf together over the summer. And as a kid, I longed for that opportunity to go. Uh, Not because I had any interest in golf. I didn't tell my dad that. (laughs) Uh, And it certainly wasn't because I was good at it. Uh, but because I wanted to spend time with my Uncle Johnny and with my grandfather and with my dad, and they always have these great pictures of all the stuff that they did when they weren't playing golf and all the fun that they would have, and I wanted to be one of the guys in this side of the family. And so when I was about 12 years old, I got invited to go. Uh, And I was so good at riding in the golf cart, I was like the best there's ever been. (laughs) Because I wasn't very good at golf, uh, but I thought I was pretty good company, and I had so much fun. It was a great memory for me. I didn't get invited back, (laughs) but it was good for me. (laughs) And so I went on this trip. We went to Tucson, Arizona. We stayed at this nice hotel, and there were always a couple of days on those trips where we would either play just a little bit of golf and then go do something else, or we'd, you know, do something else for the rest of the day to take a little break. And we were coming back from the golf course that afternoon, and we were going to go to dinner. And we'd already tried a couple of places near our hotel, but we wanted a recommendation. So pre-iPhone, Googling it on our iPhone, what are the best restaurants nearby, we asked the woman at the front desk. 
and she was happy to help. Uh, she was really, really kind and excited about uh, the opportunity to tell us about this restaurant. And I don't remember the name of the restaurant, and I don't remember where it was or anything, but I do remember that we really liked it. Uh, we went that night. It was actually a kind of a drive from our hotel, but she was like, the drive is totally worth it. And from what I recollect and what my dad retells, it was worth it. The food was great. It was like picnic tables outside and live music and just like really, really good food. So we're driving back from the uh, experience at this great restaurant, and I apparently would just not shut up about the restaurant, about how good it was. Wow, that was amazing. And it was maybe because it was like the most fun I'd had all week, because like, I wasn't golfing very hard. <laughs> I was like, well, we ate at this awesome restaurant. That was the highlight of the trip for me. And we're driving back, and my dad was like, yeah, we should let her know at the front desk that it was such a positive experience. I'm like, yeah, we should. It was awesome. So we get back to the room, and my dad is like, you should do it. You just press that button on the phone, it'll call the front desk, she'll pick up, and you tell her how much we enjoyed the restaurant. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm like a nervous child, kind of a nervous adult. Uh, and so I was like, I'll do it. I did love the restaurant, and so I'm supposed to call her and tell her, thank you so much for this recommendation. Here's what I did. Uh, I, I grabbed the phone, I pressed the button, she immediately picked up and I said, hey, were those people in that one room and we just wanted to say thank you and hung up. <laughs> she probably had no idea who it was. <laughs> thank you for what, you know? And as you imagine, you probably have these stories in your own family. Nearly every time I'm with my dad, especially if somebody is like my wife when she's with me, he loves to tell that story. I'll remember that time Colin called the front desk and said, hey, were those one people in that one room and we just wanted to say thank you? As long as I live, I'll never live it down. And now all of you know it too, so it's wonderful. Uh, it's a feeling I'm familiar with, unfortunately, that put on the spot, under pressure, uh, the words don't come out right. <laughs> Anybody else resonate with that? And you feel like, okay, in the moment, tell me this, tell me this, answer this, give me an answer for this, and they don't come out right. I shared the, a little bit about this before, but I met this author, Donald Miller, one time, and we waited in line to, to meet him, and I had formulated in my head all the great things I was gonna say, and I just like thrust this book in front of him and said, I wanna be a writer. <laughs> and he said, cool. <laughs> and he signed the book for me. You know, like under pressure, I don't know what to say. And I thought about that story and gotten red in the face, even alone thinking about it, <laughs> over and over and over again, because it's that same feeling I get when somebody asks me, especially in the time that we're in, um, you're a Christian, and not only that, uh, a professional one, like you're a pastor. I'm reminded of a time when I was in uh, my church in Atlanta, and we had just finished band rehearsal, I was in the band there, and we walked to the coffee shop nearby, and we were dressed up for that Sunday. I think it was around Easter Sunday. And the barista said, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, oh, we, we just got done rehearsing for church. And she said, people still do that? <laughs> yeah, they do, uh, believe it or not. And uh, we invited her. <laughs> she didn't come. Uh, but uh, that same thing of like, okay, well, then why? Well, why, why do you still do that? Why are you still engaged in it? And there's lots of things under the surface, you know, like raised in a culture where it's beneficial or you had some personal experience that was transformative for you and maybe you've been put on the spot too. Like, why would you go to church? Why would you spend your time doing this? And it's not new for Christians, actually. It's not new for people who want to follow Jesus. And actually, for a long, long time, it's been a pressure to try to explain the reason, as Paul or Peter puts it, to give an answer, to give a reason for the hope that you have. 
And people have reckoned with this question. And because we find ourselves in different cultural moments, people give different answers. And now we kind of live in a time where it's not nearly as culturally beneficial to be a Christian. And so more people are saying like, I used to call myself one, but it's really not important to me. So I can kind of let it go. I'm reminded of an early Christian saint. Her name is Perpetua. You can Google her. Just an incredible story. And she was high society. She was important in the Greco-Roman world. She was born in like the 180s, died in like 220, something like that. And uh, she was really important. Her husband is really important. They had a child. And she became a follower of Jesus. And at that time, it was like systematic persecution of Christians. Nothing like any of us have or ever will experience, probably. And she was imprisoned. And over and over and over again, they would ask Perpetua, uh, could you just not? (laughs) Could you light the incense for this God? Or could you pray a prayer to this God? Could you give it up? And she didn't. And it's now this story that Christians tell of like, wow, perpetuous faith is so wonderful. And again, it's nothing we've ever experienced. And, And when people talk about being persecuted as a Christian in this country, I laugh because it's so silly because we're not facing at all any even close measure to what Perpetua experienced. But in the same way, if there's any commonality, it's that you're put under some pressure sometimes to explain why. Why would you give yourself to this? And that's, that's the place that Peter finds himself in talking to these early Christians in this letter that he's written. He's already talked about in the previous chapter like that you're, you're going to. It's not if you face trouble, if, if you face hardship, if you face an obstacle in following Jesus, it's when. And in that when, he wants to give some encouragement. And these are the sorts of things that he says. This is kind of a basic breakdown outline of what we just read in 1 Peter. First, be good. Let me like share that in common with any sort of ideology or religion or philosophy. Be good. And the reasoning he says to be good is like, who's gonna fault you for that? <laughs> if you're a good, pleasant person, it doesn't matter what religion you adhere to, it's, it's good, it's winsome to be good. You should be a good person. And second, in your being good, center your life on Jesus. In fact, consider him Lord, kurios is the um, Greek word there. Like consider him as divine, as the center point, the transformative piece of your life, that in your being good, also be a religious person and center your life on Jesus. And then the one we've already talked about, then because you point to Jesus and because you're good and because the reason you have for being good is this person, Jesus, be ready to explain it. Be ready to give an answer, to explain not just like the ins and outs of the theology and not like, okay, can you give an explanation of the Trinity, good luck, uh, but explain the hope that you have. Because that was the odd thing about early Jesus followers is they lived in a time where like mortality rates were relatively high. There was a lot of war and, and, and division and divisiveness. And these Christian people would gather for a meal and they would hope for the future, no matter what came to them. Imprisoned persecuted, yet they were hopeful. So be ready to give an answer for the hopefulness. And then in your giving of your answer, be nice about it. (laughs) Be gentle and kind. I think, this is just my estimation, this is probably the piece of, of advice that Christians need the most. That we know too many of them that are ready to give their answer, but their answer is rude. (laughs) Or people, they know what they believe, but they're not kind and warm about it. That people are prepared to give an answer for the hope they have, and it's not an invitation, it's a threat. Be hopeful or else. (laughs) Follow Jesus or else. It's not kind, it's not compassionate, it's not warm. It's a modern problem too. And then ultimately he says, if you get lost in this, 
if you get tired of it, if you get frustrated with it, if anything, if you need some guidance, Jesus is the model. Jesus went to the spirits in prison. Jesus gave himself for people that didn't want it. Jesus gave of himself freely and openly and poured himself out, and he's the example of what it means to live an invitational, kind, compassionate, welcoming in life. So look to Jesus. So we fast forward to 2023, and you know, church, you know, if you look at the statistics, okay, is it, is it growing, is it not? Well, it depends on where you look, and is it actually beneficial to society, and what's the reason, and why should we gather, and more specifically, like, why should you come to this one? And at worst, you show up and get coffee, donuts, a little bit of Hawaiian bread, and some good music. That's like the baseline. <laughs> at best, Christians want to say, something happens. That when you worship and when you pray together, when you gather with other people, this is the simple community gathering, God does something by his spirit to you and for you. At best, it's a place of transformation. So if I could give four kind of concrete facets, a constellation of things of why invite people to the Christian life broadly, but then also why invite people to experience the Christian life in this community is these kind of four aspirational things I wanna draw our attention to. First, what Peter describes, and again, if we're looking at Jesus as the example, is uh, uh, the spiritual life. That actually, if we, if we look at it, even people that say uh, they're not necessarily religious, a lot of people do report that they wanna be spiritual. And I think the, the way the Christian life has a lot to offer in that area <laughs> of living a deep spiritual life pensive, serene life. That if we wanted to look at an example of a really good spiritual person, you couldn't go wrong with Jesus. And if we're a gathering of people like we talked about last week, a community of people that center our lives on Jesus, we could truly be what it means to be spiritual people. Well, some people call the something more. They're like, we kick the can down the road of when I get to this spot, maybe that's it. Or if I get to that spot, maybe that's it. But if you have a deep abiding spiritual life, that something more is always present no matter your circumstances. I think also, though we have examples to the contrary, I think living a Christian life, being a Christian, Christian community forms you into a virtuous person hopefully a moral and ethical person. And again, just to draw attention to it, we know and we could sit here all day listing people that claim to be Christians that didn't live virtuous lives. But in the same way, if uh, Peter, if we take the example of Peter and of Jesus and put Jesus at the center, we should, we should expect, we should hope that we are being formed into virtuous people. A classic example is, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer who during World War II, in the face of persecution and imprisonment and ultimately execution, he could have said, you know what, I do agree with Hitler and the Nazis, but he didn't. He lived a virtuous life. And then we also find ourselves in, in a world where we wonder about morals and ethics and like, do you have to be a religious person to be moral and ethical? I think the clear answer is no. We know plenty of non-religious people who live moral and ethical lives. But the foundation, what's underneath, when we look at a person like Jesus, there's actually some people <laughs> saying the quiet part out loud. There's actually this, this lawyer and theorist, who's, uh, his name's Bob Black, and he says, human rights is a Christian myth. And he, what he means by that is, uh, aside from some kind of undergirding understanding of innate human value, which can only come, he would say, from 
uh, a, a spiritual person or from a spiritual teacher like Jesus, human rights is just something that we've made up. So if we follow Jesus, just to get to a conclusion about this, you live a virtuous, hopefully a virtuous life. We also live a beautiful life. Uh, to, to live in Christian community is something that's beautiful because it's broken, but it also transforms people. And it changes people's life stories, and it also is difficult. And in the struggle, people's uh, lives are lifted up and changed. And I'm reminded of St. Irenaeus, early Christian. Some people think that he studied under John, who wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, and Irenaeus says, the glory of God is the human person fully alive. And think about that a lot. That God is glorified in the life of beautiful people. Not superficially beautiful, but beautiful in that they're pouring themselves out. That they've broken themselves on the uh, uh, behalf of others. People that have given themselves to something that seems so crazy but is compelling is beautiful. That the glory of God is the human person fully alive. That we invite people because we say, hey, do you want to be fully alive? I mean, that's a rhetorical question. Yes, I don't want to be partially alive or halfway alive. I want to be fully alive. And to follow Jesus helps you tap into being fully alive. But we sometimes mistake Jesus as like, Jesus is going to show me how to be God, when in reality, Jesus shows us how to be human, how to be fully human and to glorify God in our humanity. The last one is hopeful. And maybe uh, alongside people, Christians being nicer, maybe this is the one that we need the most, is uh, for, for hope in the world. Uh, beyond uh, what we can explain or give an answer to theologically or biblically, uh, could we offer hope to the world, hope in the service that we offer others, but also hope in this person of Jesus? And Caitlin Dugan is this uh, theologian at Princeton, and I heard an interview with her the other day, and she grew up in kind of uh, a difficult, abusive Christian tradition, and in that tradition, uh, she was terrified of God. And she thought Jesus was kind of like blocking and tackling for her. <laughs> They're like, she followed Jesus because if I don't follow Jesus and he's out of the way, God's gonna get me. And she said in her own Christian transformation, she realized that with Jesus at the center, there's no God hiding behind Jesus ready to go after her. That when you actually, you look at Jesus in the face, you're looking at God in the face. And then we see Jesus giving himself for others and caring for orphans and widows and washing his disciples' feet and sharing a meal with people he knew would betray him, we see God clearly, concretely, and there's nothing behind him. And I'm like, please, Jesus, would you stay in the way because I don't want God to get me? And that kind and compassionate Jesus says, I'm here. I'm with you. And I give you hope. I hold the future, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And that gives me hope and transformation in my own life. We invite people uh, because of the last two weeks and this week combined, that from my perspective, Jesus is the most compelling person that we could center our lives around. Not because he was just a good moral teacher, but because he was more than that. And because for centuries, for some reason, this burgeoning group of outcasts did something transformational to the world. Tom Holland is a... Um, historian, Christian historian, not Spider-Man. Different Tom Holland, uh, much older Tom Holland. Uh, and he's an English historian, does uh, Christian church history. And he basically describes like, the world without the Christian church, this movement that shouldn't have grown out of Jerusalem onward, uh, shouldn't exist, but because it exists, we have all of these things that we should be thankful for in the West. And I tend to agree with him. 
And he says, and he's not a Christian, he says, the claims of the Christian faith are crazy, but they're compelling. I think that's like, for me, the, the most descriptive way, if somebody were to give me an answer, is like, yep, I know what I believe is crazy, but it's compelling. And I lean on it, I'm dependent on it. People say like, oh, it, religion is just a crutch for you. You bet it is. <laughs> Following Jesus is a crutch. I'm needy and dependent for Jesus, and I'm needy and dependent for community, and I can't do it on my own, and I can't go it alone, and there's no self-made Christian, and so in community we say, hey, are you tired of going it alone? There's a community centered around this guy. Would you come check it out? Uh, John Mark Comer describes it, I think, um, really perfectly of what it means to live an invitational life, that you don't leave a religious tract as a tip at a restaurant. That's not an invitation. Don't do that, <laughs> don't do it. Uh, 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 a passive aggressive combative Facebook post is not an invitation. Um, a threat is not an invitation. But a life can be an invitation. And John Mark Comer says this, he says, live a life that begs the question. Live a life that begs the question. Live a life that is an invitation. Live a life that people say like, they believe something crazy, but I kind of want part of it. <laughs> They go to this place on Sunday morning and, you know, I don't know about all the people there, but I, I kind of want to show up. I'm kind of moved by it. Or they give service, and I'm not ready for the God thing yet, but I, I want to care for my city. Or, or I remember this time I took communion in, in middle school, and I come up and I receive communion, and something happened, and then I haven't taken it since, and I kind of want to go see if that was real. <laughs> or I kind of just want a place where I can be anonymous and just kind of feel a place of peace and just be handed a cup of coffee and to lift up my voice in song and just be at peace. But if anything, if you leave this place today, if you hear one thing is, is like Peter says, be ready to give an answer for the hope you have, and the best way that you can give an answer is to live your life hopefully, to live a life that begs the question, to live a life that people would say about you, that person's crazy and I like them. <laughs> That person is, is wild and I have this kind of idealistic vision for the future, and I wish I had that. And not in an envious way, but like, I'm ready to partner with that. I wanna partner with people who don't believe the same things I do, but have the same vision that Jesus gave us for what the future, what our city, what our community could be like. Live a life that begs a question. Be ready to give an answer, kindly, gently, in the way of Jesus. Let's do it together. Amen. Let's pray.